Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. We're thinking about uh, the power of uh, some of the stories surrounding the resurrection. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but... Uh, we're told by experts that uh, the Gospels uh, all take on very distinct perspectives and personalities. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, each uh, are written from a different sort of temperament and perspective. And so uh, it may be that you uh, connect with one of the Gospels over the other, that one of them is your favorite, and that's probably not just by accident. It's probably you share a core temperament with the author. And so the way Mark writes is distinctly different from the way Luke writes, is different from the way Matthew writes, and certainly different from the way... John writes. John is a vivid storyteller. He, he unfolds his narrative in ways that the other disciples do not. Sometimes you wonder, how did John get all this information? It's, we know that John was one of the inner, in the inner circle with Jesus, and therefore we assume that uh, John just had one of those minds uh, that as he heard, he just kept hold of some of the very specific facts. So John is a, is a very verbose storyteller. That's why I like him. So when we think about how that unfolds, it's not surprising when we think about, especially the Passion Week, John gives us more information about the things that are happening than anyone else. So, for example, the Lord's Supper uh, is really a very brief account in the other Gospels, but for John, it goes on and on and on and on and on. In fact, the events surrounding that uh, Thursday evening are really drawn out uh, over uh, a number of chapters, and it's John who tells us the story at the Last Supper. Uh, the, other, uh, the other writers, they tell us that Jesus broke the bread and said, from now on, as often as you do this, do it in, remember, uh, in remembrance of me. But John is the one who tells us the vivid story about the disciples and the washing of the feet, and he tells us about the basin, and he tells, having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed to them the full extent of his love, rising from the table. These vivid images that he that he gives us in this, this intricate story. We don't just hear that he washed the disciples' feet. We, we hear what they were doing and how they were responding emotionally. And we hear about Peter and his, his emotional state and the words he spoke. And, and it's just vivid storytelling. There in chapter 13, as the story starts to unfold, we, we have that new command, a new command I give you, John 13, 35, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you also ought to love one another. Uh, vivid, vivid stories. And then into this very emotional conversation with the disciples. Jesus is telling the disciples that he's going away, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die. And they're not, they're not handling that well. The conversation is not going well around the table. And he, he packs in the story of the emotion. Finally, Jesus looks at them and says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And, and as he sort of pours out that moment of trying to pull them in and console their emotions that are so torn up at the moment, Thomas speaks up and he says, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? I'm the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the father except by me. And then we're told exclusively by John, we don't see this anywhere else, at the end of chapter 14, we hear Jesus say to the disciples, come let us leave. And so we know now that they're in transition. We don't know 
exactly how they get from where they are in the space of the upper room, which is inside the city wall, to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is down through the Kidron Valley and over to the Mount of Olives. But, but we know that by the time we get to chapter 17, we're going to be with Jesus, and he's praying the high priestly prayer. All of chapter 17, the longest account of the prayer of Jesus we have in any of the Gospels is John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer in the garden. We have a little account from Matthew. Uh, he prayed, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. But over in John, we have this extensive prayer And uh, we assume because John was there, he was invited to come with Jesus further into the garden and pray for a while. And so what we assume then is that there's this transition that's going on. They leave the upper room inside the city. They exit the city gate. They make their way down through the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives and into the Garden of Gethsemane. And, And as they are going, we assume that Jesus is teaching the content of chapter 15 and 16. That's all being talked about as they walk, which is a very traditional rabbinic way of teaching. And so it's chapter 15 in which he looks at them, and in light of this new resurrection reality that he understands and has been talking about, he he speaks to them and he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then, then, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That that this new reality is going to be that he's inviting these disciples to be so connected to him that out of their lives is growing to grow fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but I like this arrangement. I like this idea of interdependence. I like the fact that I'm invited into a place where I get to abide with Christ and then my my life just automatically grows fruit. How's that going for everybody? (laughs) And then Paul comes along and he says, let me tell you what the fruit of the Spirit is. So as you abide, here's what you're going to grow. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The the NIV says forbearance. Makes me so mad. (laughs) It's the only translation you can find that says forbearance instead of patience. It seems to me that a bunch of scholars got in a room and they go, well, everybody said patience. What could we say that's different? I know, let's do forbearance. Oh, I like forbearance. That's good. Let's go with that. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, patience, love, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the fruits that are to grow out of our lives. That's what we, we connect to the, to the vine We are appropriately rooted in Him, and out of our life grows patience. How's that going? Is that the fruit that's growing? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Because that's the idea, that you and I are to be growing fruit as a result of this abiding. And one of the kinds of fruit we are to grow is patience. Patience has been talked about, and it's been an admonition. It's been an exhortation in Scripture for a long time. Psalms 41 through 3, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, out of the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm plate. Are the lights going down and up? (laughs) You know, you got to check in every once in a while, because if this is the beginning of a stroke, I want to (laughs) know. I want to be on the front end of that, not on the back end. Uh, he lifted me out of the mud and the mire. There's a scripture here somewhere. He set my feet on the rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. 
And I shared with you Romans 8.22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, uh, who hopes for what they already have, but if we do not yet have it, we wait for it patiently. How many of us would say, I got a lot of things I'm hoping for, and since I'm hoping for them and I can't quite see how it's coming together, I'm waiting patiently. That's what most everyone that knows me would say. Oh, yeah, they're waiting very, very patiently for the things they can't see, the things they're hoping. Because if you can see them, you don't have to hope for them. And if you're hoping, then we're waiting for it patiently. And I don't know about you, but I find, I think it's interesting to figure out, you know, when I am impatient, what it is that makes me impatient. And I've been analyzing that, and, and I've come up with some answers. You know, what makes me impatient is when I know things and other people don't. You understand what I'm saying? So, for example, when I'm driving. <laughs> I know how to drive, and I know the rules of the road. Evidently, there are others who are less informed. <laughs> and I find this to be a source of impatience. When I have knowledge and they seem to lack it, that I have some kind of insight into the appropriate things that should be happening, and when they're not happening, that is when my patients are tried. And I find that that's very consistent, that, that I am impatient when I know better than what's happening around me. That's when I am impatient. I am impatient with my children when I know and they don't seem to know. And something inside me tenses up. You can feel it. It's an emotional, ah, why are you doing that? You should be doing this and not that. Clearly, this is a better choice. So my impatience is very much related to my level of expertise and knowledge. Now, I know in my Sunday school brain that God has patience with me. But I'm not sure in my emotional, spiritual heart if I really feel that God has patience with me. And this is astonishing to me, and this is one of the reasons that I have a hard time grasping it. It's because if I am impatient with others because I know and they don't, how does the all-knowing God of the universe, the cosmic Christ, have patience with me when he knows and I don't? And, and, and the amount of things that he knows and I don't. Let's just say it's a lot. Amen? And that I'm keenly aware. That even as I pray, I'm keenly aware. Well, he... This must seem odd to him for me to be telling him what I think is needed. It must be weird. So maybe I'll just pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because I don't. I mean, ultimately, that's really what I want because I trust it and I believe in that. So that we are invited into this place to experience the patience of God. In fact, I would go one step further and say that it is the patience of God that finds us. And, and I would say this Sunday after Easter that there are people here who need to be found by the patience of God. You need to be found. There are places in your journey, in your story, in your life right now where you need to hear this good news. That it is the patience of God that finds us. 
2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Speaking to Paul, 1 Timothy 1, 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Even the juxtaposition of those two statements is just astonishing. So that God showed to me the worst of sinners, his immense patience unto him who is immortal, invisible, all-knowing, all-loving, and to him be glory and honor forever and ever. And so not only are we invited to be rightly connected to the vine and therefore bear patience out of our own life, the fruit of patience, but we're also invited to experience the patience of God. I think this is beautifully captured in a story that Luke records for us in chapter 24. I just want to read it to you, uh, and I want you to think. This is uh, resurrection morning, so uh, the very first day we've had the... The event at the tomb, and uh, depending on how you put the gospel timeline together, perhaps he's appeared already to the disciples. Perhaps it's going to be later in the day, but this is early on that same day of the resurrection morning, Luke 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But... We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. And they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scripture concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going farther. But they, argued, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day's almost over. And so he went in and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? So I want you to get this in your head. The cosmic God of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful, newly resurrected Christ on the very first morning of his resurrection reality, has come to a couple of people who are walking down a road, leaving Jerusalem and making their way to the little village of Emmaus. Now, we know that Emmaus lies somewhere to the west of Jerusalem. We're told in Scripture seven miles 
but that's only an English translation, so if you want to figure out how many miles, then you have to get into a debate, and that involves math, and we're not going to do math on a Sunday morning. Because <laughs> there are just limits to what we should know. That's to say, we don't really know where the, the old village of Emmaus is. There's a couple of places that are possible. One is favored over the other. You don't really need to know that. You should know that it is on the road to Jaffa. It is the road from Jerusalem to Jaffa. If you've been there and you know your geography, then you know that that's due west. Jaffa lies on the Mediterranean Sea. It's the port city. It's not very many miles between Jerusalem and Jaffa. Somewhere along that road, headed west towards the sea, these two guys are walking along and Jesus joins them. There are five things that I think are very significant about this story. Number one, he joins them. He joins them. The demonstration of the patience of God, the all-knowing Father, the cosmic Christ, the resurrected Lord, is that on the morning of his birth, of the morning of his resurrection, on the first Easter morning, what is he doing? He's walking beside people and listening to their conversation. He's just walking along, and these two people are talking, and, and they're obviously disappointed, and they're hurt, and they're wounded, and they're confused, and Jesus joins them. He goes to where they are, and he walks beside them, and he listens to what they're saying. He's kind of eavesdropping. He's looking for a moment to interject himself into their conversation. He is initiating, joining them. They're just talking. They're not praying. They're not... They're not, you know, they're not looking for God. They're not, they're just disappointed and hurt and walking along. And he's overhearing what they're saying. And, he, and I don't know how long he walked along before he said anything, but, but we're told that he walked along with them. And finally he said, what are you talking about? He interjects himself into this moment. He invades their space. He shows up. He joins them where they are. And he says, what are you talking about? Well, as patient people who are bearing the fruit of patience, they say, what? How can you not know what's going on? Are you the only person who's in Jerusalem that doesn't know the story? The story about what, he says. <sighs> about Jesus of Nazareth. And then they talk. And he joins them. He shows up where they are. And he walks with them. And he interjects himself into their conversation. And what an incredible truth about God. That this God is so patient that at this moment... On this very first morning of his resurrection, when I could think of other things to be doing. I mean, wasn't it like that on Thursday night before the arrest at the Passover meal? I mean, don't you ever stop and you go, hey, the universe is hanging in the balance. Put away the foot washing material. <laughs> don't you ever stop? I mean, the balance of the universe is there. And Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. And when you go... There must be more things for you to be doing right now than washing the disciples' feet. Especially since the disciples are arguing with each other about who will be greatest in the kingdom. I can't grasp the patience. And listen, you don't have to believe the biblical story about God. But you should know this. There is not another story written about any God in any, in any form or fashion that would tell a story like this about a God who seeks his creation, about a God who joins us, who seeks us. We don't just seek. Every other religion in the world is about us figuring out how to find God. This story of faith is about God trying to find you, trying to find me, 
It's the only top-down story ever written. And he joins them. He goes to where they are. Number two, he listens to them. I, I don't know what Jesus has done in the last three days. I don't know what's happened to him, obviously. There's a lot of theology that comes into play. There's a lot of times that, that, that the three days are referenced. That There's a lot of things we could talk about. I don't know what's happened, but, but I would suffice it to say that probably something significant has happened to Christ in these three days, and there's probably something going on with him. He does mention to the disciples later, don't touch me yet, I have not yet gone to the Father. So we, we know there's all kinds of cosmic things going on in this moment, and I don't know, it seemed if Jesus showed up with a couple of guys on the first morning of his resurrection, that he would dominate the conversation. Amen? I know if something significant happens to me, I have a tendency to dominate. Well, week to week, I have a tendency to dominate the conversation. <laughs> and Jesus listens. He joins them and he listens to them. They talk, 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 talk. They talk it all out. He lets them talk it all out. This is what happened. This is what we thought. This is what we were hoping for. We thought he was the one to redeem Israel. These were our dreams. This is all blown apart. Now the women, oh, and then our companions, and they went, and we didn't see anything, and we don't know what it means, and we're confused, and we're just going home. We're just done. We're done, done. We're going home. Can't sit around and wait to see how it turns out. He joins them, and he listens to them. Number three, he teaches them. And he begins to teach them, starting with Moses and the prophets, and carrying all the way forward why the Messiah had to suffer. I don't know about you, but that's a tough one for me. I mean, we just saw Jesus in the upper room with the disciples, and we just were part of that conversation. And we just heard Jesus say to the disciples, Have I been with you so long, and still you do not understand? We, we, we know that in Jesus' head, at least there is an understanding that he's taught them, he's taught them, and he's taught them, and he's taught them, and he's taught them, and the time has come for my departure. And I don't know about you, but I exercise great impatience when I've taught something and the people don't get it. You know? I mean, I, how, how often do you say that to people in the, with whom you share a relationship? Children, spouse? Oh, I already told you. I already said that. We already talked about that. That's already done. We shouldn't have to revisit this. It's on the chart. Come on. You know, be nice. Should we have to talk about that? <laughs> but Jesus goes back to the beginning. Listen, to, he goes back to the very beginning and he teaches them. On the morning of his resurrection, the cosmic Christ, who's just been translated, <laughs> resurrected by the Father. I don't know what all he's gone through. <laughs> But what is he doing? He's teaching a Bible study to a couple of guys on a dirt road on the road to Emmaus. I, I would have said to them, here's my card. You know, I would have said, hey, down at the temple. You want to learn some stuff? Come down to the temple. I would have said something like this. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. That Peter guy, he's a weird dude. But you give him about 50 days, and around Pentecost, that guy's going to catch fire. And then you go see him, because he's going to be pastoring a mega church going to be 3,000 in one day added to the church. 
You go hear him. You go hear him preach. You go hear him do his thing, and he will tell you all the things you need to know. Nope. The all-knowing God of the universe is just simply teaching these two, these two people. Do we know anything about these two people? We learn one little piece of information. One of them is named Cleopas. We don't know anything else. They're not mentioned anywhere else. There's not a significant... We don't hear the rest of the story later. Oh, and they grew up and they evangelized all of Europe. They were significant because of themselves. And he teaches them. And then they get to the place where they are going. And Jesus makes like he will go on. He is deferential to them, number four. He's deferential to them. He's not forcing his way in. Even at this moment, he's not forcing his way into the situation. He's come along and he's joined them and he's listened to them and he's taught them, but he's still not going to force himself on them. He's still not going to push his way in. He's still going to let them invite him. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open the door, I will come in and we will dine together. But he's not coming in without you opening the door. He's not going to make that move. He's not going to force himself. He's not going to insert himself. He's, he's not going to, you know, impose himself into our thoughts, into our home, into our family, into our meal, into our busy schedules, into our depression, into our sadness, into our anxiety. He will not force himself into that space. And when I hear this story, I think, how many times has he, has he deferentially made like he's going to walk on by? And I've let him because I'm busy. <laughs> Don't have time. Check you later. See ya. Now, here's the thing that's so important. Because there's one more thing that's going to happen. And the fifth thing that happens is this. He reveals himself. He reveals himself. And I don't know about you, but part of my impatience is, I don't know why God doesn't show up more. Just me? <laughs> this post-Easter hangover is tough, isn't it? <laughs> rugged I just think how many times I wish he would show up and make himself known but he doesn't make himself known because he has way more patience with me than I have with him and as he enters those deferential moments I let him go before he's able to reveal himself I let him join me. I let him listen to me. Let him, I let him, I let him listen to me. <laughs> He's so overjoyed to hear what I have to say. <laughs> I let him teach me. And then I get on. As soon as I get a little information, I'm good to go, aren't you? You give me just a little information and I will strike out on my own. When you deferentially decide to move on, I will let you move on. Long before you have space to reveal yourself, I will move on because I have a tiny bit of knowledge and that's all I need to keep going. I don't need to have you solve anything. You just give me and equip me and I am completely efficient. All I need is just a tiny bit of information and I am dangerous. In fact, if you give me information, I will practice impatience with others. Because <laughs> that's what I do. It's my spiritual gift. Jesus could have, he could have listened to them. He could have joined them and listened to them and taught them and sat down to dinner. He did not have to reveal himself, but he chose to. 
They, they could have left here and told a story about this strange person that joined them and taught them and how significant it was and how much it mattered. And they met that there was a friend that met them in their time of grief and need, and it meant a lot to them. And they wished they knew who they were so they could send a card. He didn't have to reveal himself. But that's the patience of God. I want you to know who you've encountered. I want you to know what this is about. I want you to connect the dots. I want you to put it together. And as I think about this story, I think about this question. Where do you this morning need the patience of God to be manifest? In what part of your life? I mean, I know we all need to be patient. Bear the fruit of patience. But that's not what this sermon is about. It is the patience of God that finds us. God is not slow to answer as some regard slowness, but He is patient with us. Me, the worst of sinners, it gave God an opportunity to show His immense patience. Because I need a lot of work. And I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus and I think about that first morning and I think about resurrection day and I think about the fact that he's made an appearance and now here he is. I don't know about you, but that is not where I would have been. I would have been over in Caiaphas' front yard. <laughs> I would have been up in Pilate's closet. Boo! <laughs> I mean, couldn't you find a thousand things to do on resurrection morning? That would have been a total blast. So many fun things. It's one more reason why God does not let us run the world. But where is he? He is doing what he always does. He's showing up with a couple of people who need him who are heartbroken and devastated and confused and lost, who bear on their shoulders the weight of the world. And he walks up beside them and he walks with them long enough to interject himself into their conversation. He joins them. Where do you need him to join you? Because that is the nature of this God. The nature of this God is that he comes to where you are. He didn't ask you to show up at church. I ask you to show up at church. He didn't ask you to show up at church to meet him. He comes to where you are. He seeks after you. And he listens. We're told in scripture that he not only listens to the words of our mouth, but he listens to the groanings of our heart. That the spirit intercedes with us to the father. Then he interprets what's going on in here to the father. That he stands in the gap and he says, this is what's going on. This is what's happening to my... Friend Dave, this is what's going on in his life. These are the things he can't quite put into words. This is what he's saying, but this is what he means. <laughs> this is where he is. And he listens and he listens and he listens to the cry of our heart. He listens to the pleas. He listens to the deep down stuff. He listens to that anguish inside of us. He listens to whatever that turmoil is in us. He listens and he listens and he listens and he listens. And then he's willing to teach. All right. Let's start at the beginning again. <laughs> let's go back again and let's talk together about how it works and who I am and who you are 
and that in all things I'm working for your good. Let's talk about what it means to rest. I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace, not as the world gives you, but a kind of peace that no one can take away from you. And he teaches. And he deferentially doesn't impose himself. We have to invite him. We have to keep asking him, you know, come on in, come on in, come on in. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in and we'll dine together. Oh, let's do dine together. <laughs> because unless I invite you into that intimate space, I may never really understand that all of this, all of these things that happened were you. They were you. They were the God of the universe reaching to me. And he reveals himself. Where do you need him to join you and to listen and to teach? Where could you open your heart and, and invite him into more intimate space? Where do you need him to reveal himself in your story and in your journey? We're going to close in just a moment. And I know last week you had a chance to come forward as a part of our Easter celebration, but I have just felt like we ought to have a chance to come forward again. <laughs> that, that you can't sit in this space and not say, me, Lord, it's me. I don't want you to deferentially walk up and down the aisles on a Sunday morning and, and be interlaced in your word and then me go out and not have taken a moment. So as a band comes back, I, I, I just I want you to think about, you know, I need you. <laughs> I need your patience. I need to be the object of the great patience of a loving God, the all-knowing loving God who, who treats me this way, who is willing to join me. Where, where do you need him to join? Would you pray with me? God, we enter into this post-resurrection Sunday recognizing the incredible gift, not only that you were willing to become lost so that we might be found. Not only pouring out grace in ways we can hardly grasp or imagine. But visiting us with patience. Coming to where we are, joining us and listening to us and teaching us. And so we want to open our hearts and open the door. We know you're deferential, that you won't push your way in. And so we're inviting you into space with us. We want to walk in that space. We want to make possible that moment when you reveal yourself, when we see clearly that it was you who all along was joining and listening and teaching. And so we just pray. Maybe some who are joining us on live stream, they just want to kneel down in their home or wherever they might be and say, it's me, I need you. But here in this room, in a moment, we'll just open up the opportunity to come and stand. And that's all, just come and stand and save me. I, I need the patience of God to visit me and to rest on me. Hear our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? We're just going to take a moment. And if God's tapped you on the shoulder and said, I'd like for you to just step out there and
just be the one that says it's me. I just invite you to come. You can come just stand around the front. I'm just going to pray over you as we close this service. But thank you. I'm not going to sing a song. We're just going to wait in His presence. The God of the universe is patient with us. Let's just keep moving right into the middle and make room. Because I'll tell you this, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us. Don't need to be shy. Always great when there's not room for folks. Just keep pushing in there and squeezing in. Good, 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 good. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you are a God of patience. And standing before you are folks that stepped out and said, I need the God of the universe, the cosmic Christ, the risen Lord, to visit his patience on some circumstances and situations in my life. I pray that you would join these folks on the walk that you'd come beside them and be present with them and that you would listen to their heart, listen to their soul, listen to their story, listen to their home, listen to their family, listen to the things they can control, listen to the things they can't control, the disappointment, the victories, whatever the story is, I pray that you would reach beside them and remind them that you are not only the God who joins, but you're the God who listens. And I pray that you would teach I pray that you would use your word. I pray that you would bring it to life. I I pray that you would use friends. I pray that you would use wise counsel. I pray that you would use music. I I pray that you would use whatever it might be to teach and grow and transform and change and remind us again of the power and the story of God and how it's unfolding in every one of their lives and every one of their stories. And I pray that you'd give us a spirit of hospitality to throw the door open and invite you in and let you come deeper in and share around a table in an intimate kind of place in which you are able to reveal yourself and teach us and grow us and i pray that blessing would be present over each one of their lives and their story and their homes and their families but not only to these who have come forward but to all those who stand in this place to those who join us on live stream some who are kneeling in their own homes right now i pray God, that you would keep this resurrection story alive in our hearts and in our minds and remind us that we live in a new reality. We live in the reality of a resurrected Christ and all that means. And I pray that you would pour out your will and your blessing on all of our lives. And as you do that, we're going to give you all praise and we're going to give you all honor for we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Amen. I, I want us to end by just celebrating together. So let's, whatever that, you know, sort of hangover is, let's just right now go ahead and praise him for his grace. God bless you all. Let's sing and praise together. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.